at the stroke of the midnight hour, when the world sleeps, India will awake to life and freedom. Welcome to the Book of India, a podcast series created by the Vidhi Center for Legal Policy on the Constitution of India. This year is the 75th year since India's independence, and it is an opportune moment to reflect on the principles that could be considered as the founding ideas of India. So join us on this journey to open the Book of India. Hello and welcome to the Book of India, a podcast series on the Constitution of India and how it fares today. I am your host Keshav Padmanabhan. August fifteenth marks seventy-five years of independence for India. The Indian state, as we know it today, was painstakingly built over many years. The cornerstone of this process was the creation of a constitution, which was drawn up for the governance of India. Officially. The journey of the constitution began on December 13th 1946 when Pandit Jawaharlal Nehru moved the objective resolution in the constituent assembly with the adoption of the constitution of India on January 26th 1950 the republic of india finally had a single document that described the founding ideals of the nation today almost 73 years after after the constitution came into being the zeitgeist has changed and some of the founding principles of the indian state have been confronted with many serious challenges charka the center for constitutional law at the vidhi center for legal policy has begun a multi-year research project looking into some of these founding principles and their relevance at this crucial juncture of india's journey as a constitutional democracy As of now Charka has a position paper titled One Nation Many Paths which sort of outlines the vision for the multi-year project. Joining us today we have Ritvika Sharma Charka's team lead and senior resident fellow and Lalit Panda senior resident fellow. Hi and welcome Ritvika and Lalit. Thanks very much Keshav thanks for having us over so that we could talk about the work that we are doing at Charka currently. Hello Keshav thank you so much this is very exciting i'm glad we're getting started on this so anyway i mean let's let's start the conversation and i'll i'll leave this to either uh ritika or lalit to answer this question right but my first question regarding your research is why now what makes this moment in time a critical juncture to research and understand the constitution um kishan i feel at this moment and i'll just jump uh, straight into it um i feel this moment this particular time in india's presence present is as good as any to dig deeper into the constitution and what it stands for uh, principles that underline indian governance which were at some point considered settled are beginning to get questioned some of these principles are actually beginning to unravel themselves and how uh, if and when i think about all of these challenges to indian governance the first example that sort of comes to my mind is that of appointments to our higher judiciary i think most people who are even vaguely familiar with how supreme court or high court judges are appointed would know that a significant voice in the appointments process is that of the collegium a body comprising uh, the senior most judges of the supreme court but did we know that this is not how it was always uh, 
pictured to be or how it was actually conceptualized. We began with a certain system underlined by executive government's power and judicial appointments. And while the collegium system was meant to remedy some of those, um, some of the ills of that particular uh, appointments process, it has gotten riddled with issues of its own, such as allegations of nepotism and cronyism and appointments. So that's that I think all of these challenges sort of compel us to look into the constitution and the challenges it currently faces. Yeah, Thank you. This is, yeah, uh, sorry, uh, la, let's go on. Yeah, sorry. The, uh, the question of why now is, um, is maybe we can answer it in two different ways. One is that it is, of course, 75 years since independence. So it's a point at which you can look back and see the progress that we have made so far. But it's also a little bit. Um, it would be it would be like looking thing looking at things with blinkers to ignore the fact that the present moment is different from many other moments that the constitution has undergone in its development. Uh, it's not just that it's any 75th year since independence, but it's a crucial point at which we are in terms of different planks that the constitution uh, was built upon. Different values, for example. Some of the values that have to do with ensuring the rule of law to ensure that government has adequate checks on it, uh, there are challenges related to that. Some authors, for example, Arvind Narayan, suggests that uh, uh, there is an undeclared emergency, similar to the emergency at the time of Indira Gandhi's prime ministership, but only undeclared this time. Why do they say that? What, what, what causes them to bring up these things? It's worth answering these questions. On the other hand, apart from these uh, you know, pointed questions regarding uh, civil liberties that come up when we think about undeclared emergencies, other authors, for example, other scholars like Arunab Khaitan suggest that the constitution is being killed with a thousand cuts. What does he mean by this? What he probably means and what he probably suggests is that unlike other instances where the constitution has faced challenges on singular issues or particular fronts, uh, there are multiple fronts on which changes are happening. And Ritrika has mentioned one example, the appointment system for the judiciary is one example about how institutions are coming under some pressure. There are questions about independence that are being raised. On the other hand, there are other institutions like democracy, where uh, questions about how freely our elections are being carried out are questioned because of matters like electoral finance, the electoral bond system, for example. On the other hand, various ideas about how we look at India uh, such as the concept of equality, which was very well entrenched at the time that the constitution was first made, and the idea of reservations is something linked with historical injustice. Those are things, some paradigm shifts, uh, for example, with reservations for economically weaker sections. What do all these shifts mean, and what do all these challenges represent? Uh, I think what, what, what we as a team at Charkha are thinking about is that it is a particular critical constitutional moment where some of the uh, existing paradigms are being re-looked at or being reconsidered. And it's important that we have to um, pause and think about this at that point. I mean, I mean, it's, could you say ex existing paradigms there, Lalit? And sorry for cutting you out, Lithika, but I just wanted to sort of expand on this idea of existing paradigms, right? Because I was sort of able to go through your position paper, One Nation, Many Parts, that I had mentioned earlier, right? And Going through this, you've identified, I think, four specific principles that sort of encapsulate the existing paradigm, right? And you, you, you claim that these are the founding ideas of India. What was the process by which you arrived at these four fundamental ideas? Yes, I think it's worth for the audience to just list out what those ideas are. Uh, we have, um, yes, first, I think that liberty is one of them. Liberty is a key question that's coming up. 
Uh, one of the other ones is related to secularism. I'm sure anybody who is at all in touch with Indian history today or Indian current affairs today is aware how secularism has come up to the forefront. Um, uh, then there is the question of language. Uh, this is a question that aligns very well with the cultural diversity questions that come up on secularism. Um, and uh, finally, what's the fourth one? I'm just, uh, yes, federalism. Federalism, federalism. Yes. yeah. Federalism is the fourth value. Uh, so yes, that's our selection of four values. Uh, Ritika, do you want to uh, take a crack at why do you think this is the selection that we've um, So, yeah, again, for the benefit of the audience, I think I should also mention that while we've spoken about these four values, we have specifically not looked into institutions and processes and rather at principles, ideals and goals, which is exactly what, what these four values encapsulate. Um, why why uh, this certain selection of values and not really institutions? Because a considered view is that if we have clarity on the idea of India that gets represented through these values, then the institutions that are supposed to secure these values or put these values into action, it would be easier for the institutions to do so that once we have the clarity on the on whatever these values are. Also, a small caveat, uh, the selection of these four values should not be considered exhaustive. There are several other values that the constitution encapsulates and the constitution stands for. But our selection, and for instance, one of those values that current immediately comes to mind, uh, well, we would say equality probably, and several other such values. Yes, but yes, yes. as we I said- We talked about uh, the EWS, yeah. We talked about the EWS, but we haven't selected that because maybe a systemic we, challenge to that hasn't come up, except from the front of secularism. Uh, exactly, exactly. So, so that's, that's uh, the, so yes, as I was saying, the, the selection of the values is not exhaustive, but, but we think these four values give us, give us a good head start into delving deep into what sort of challenges flow out of the implementation of all of these values. Uh, Lalita, as you mentioned a few minutes back, liberty, civil liberties at this point are of pressing concern. And although we have made several strides, uh, several strides and progressed on several of these issues, some of the issues keep coming back. For instance, sedition, I feel we've been talking, we are talking about it currently, and we've been talking about it since, since, since a very long time. It's been a legacy issue. We've seen arrests that have happened um, under, under several, uh, several laws, uh, such as the PMLA, the Prevention of Money Laundering Act. In fact, just about a couple of weeks ago, we had several problematic provisions which go against the grain of criminal jurisprudence and, and, and general constitutional liberty, uh, which are upheld by the by a three-judge bench of the Supreme Court. We have several arrests being made under law such as the UAPA, the Unlawful Activities Prevention Act. And these are ripening issues at this point. And it, it's important for us to be talking about them. Hmm. Yes. And, uh, the, and after yeah, the other yeah, exam, the, uh, yeah, sorry, the other values that we just discussed. Uh, mm -hmm. For example, federalism. Um, one question that immediately comes up is uh, the Article 370, uh, uh, the question of Article 370. Uh, the way in which it was scrapped has been suggested to be uh, not only procedurally wrong, but if you think about the outcome itself, it represents a very fundamental shift in which the way the center has a relationship with states. If the center is able to downgrade the status of a state, what was previously a state, the Jammu and Kashmir, if it can downgrade it unilaterally into a union territory, it it uh, it harks to a very fundamental change in the way one has to look at the center and the state as being equal partners in how the union of India is carried uh, carried forward into into the future. So Article 370 does represent that. On the other hand, there are questions that come up in relation with secularism. Um, a stark public debate came up with the CAA, 
the question of when can you discriminate on the grounds of religion. And um, while at the time of the protest related to the CAA, the focus was on the law, on the CAA, CAA itself, the provisions of that amendment, but at the same time, what we have to look at it in the perspective of is how our discrimination law generally functions in the context of religion and in the context of secularism. Have we managed to develop that adequately so as to give answers when the public demands to know whether the CAA is uh, the Citizenship Amendment Act is or is not constitutional? These are questions that are pressing right now. Um, and uh, it's important that we get all of these values right, that we get our ideas about these values right, that we have some consensus about it, because without this consensus, we do not have an idea of India. That's what we need to be working towards. I mean, the, that, that sounds extremely um, well put together. Thank you, Ritwika and Lalit. I mean, this was this sort of leads into my next question, and I think you've answered the first part of the question, which was, you know, the, the goal of this research project. But then this, this paper on this research project is part of a larger campaign being run by uh, Charka and Viri, right? The, the Book of India campaign. Could you just, you know, give, give us, us, you know, a quick answer as to what is the goal of the Book of India campaign, you know? Well, one of the goals that I, I personally identify uh, that this research project is moving towards is to insert the constitution into, into contemporary public discourse and debates because when significant changes are happening in the country and many of them ha are happening at the constitutional level, ideally they should happen with adequate discussion, debate and common consensus and they can't be rushed. They can't just uh, happen without with, with, with the unilateral discussion. Um, and I think far too often we talk about protecting the constitution and nurturing the constitution and what better way to nurture the constitution than to actually talk about it and talk about it to people at large and not and sort of also demystify this document which is the constitution and take it to the people, insert it into regular conversations, everyday conversations conversations. So that's one of the goals that um, our research project, uh, as well as the Book of India campaign as a whole, is trying to do. Um, Lalit, do you want to take it from here? Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I think we have sort of, when, when, we, when we talk about these fundamental ideas and how they may be subject to more questioning, some doubt, some uncertainty, and even change today, the idea is that if they are really so fundamental and if they are going to change, then what level of consideration should be there before you let that change happen? Should those changes take place on the basis of, you know, um, off-the-cuff remarks and uh, the whims of some people or even the strongly held convictions of some people? Or does the idea of a constitution represent something that is broader, something that can represent everybody's views about how India should be like? some common core about what we want India to be like. If we want the constitution to represent that, it simply can't be done in a rushed manner. We need deeper and wider debate about it. And we need people to pay attention to the fact that these rules are subject to change. And the way politics plays out in future depends on how the constitution provides the foundation for that politics. There is some urgency to this question and it gets more urgent um, with every week, probably. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, Ritika, you said, you know, that you wanted to sort of bring the constitution to, you know, everyday parlance, you know, that people converse about this on a daily basis and demystifying the constitution, right? Yeah. I mean, there is this belief that there is a noticeable distance between the larger public and the constitutional document, you know. 
Why is that so? Does the constitution truly impact us on a daily basis? And if so, how? You know? Yeah, so, so whenever this question is posed to us, is constitu- or, um, uh, I personally as a constitutional researcher, sometimes um, just, just doing this on an everyday basis comes with its uh, fair share of dejection and dismay because far too often um, I know the study or the practice of the constitution is, is labeled largely academic with uh, little to no relevance in the practical life of citizens. And I think one of the reasons that happens is that constitutional law as well as doctrine sometimes encompasses a lot of abstract language, technical concepts, which uh, for, for, for most part might only be possibly be understood by lawyers. So if you talk about something like asymmetric federalism, um, it's in fact, I was actually sp- speaking to a group of students and talking about something called asymmetric federalism, which obviously did not click. But the moment I mentioned something like Article 370, so there was suddenly this year, moment, oh, of course. So now we know what you're talking of. Um, and constitutional law and doctrine, of course, is diddled with many such technical concepts, seemingly technical concepts. A lot of them are technical and some of them may actually just may well as well be understood very easily. So as lawyers, constitutional lawyers and scholars, we have a tough job conveying the relevance and meaning of these ideas to the larger public. Um, That's sad, however, that's very tragic at some levels because the constitution does affect people very fundamentally. And uh, we tend to take this document for granted more often than not. uh, But I mean, if I think about something as basic, and in fact, the reason I'm calling it basic or democracy, something as basic as democracy or our ability to just be ourselves, go about our lives without fearing any retribution from the state or, or fearing any targeted violence, all of this happens because we have a constitution that guarantees us certain fundamental freedoms. And if I can call democracy basic today, it is because the constitution has guaranteed uh, certain processes and certain institutions which can facilitate democracy to function. Um, otherwise, these might as well have just been abstract principles without, without really any practical relevance to our lives. So I think that's, I do genuinely very, uh, very fundamentally feel that the constitution truly impacts us on a daily basis. Mm. I think a good way to think about it is to think about it like the plumbing in a house. Uh, You go about your life day to day and you run the tap and you run the shower and you, you know, boil a kettle of water to make tea or something like that. Um, And you take these things for granted because they're running uh, like clockwork. They're running because some people have set up these plumbers, uh, this plumbing behind the walls and as part of the house. uh, And it's giving you water you really need that water to survive and to do your day-to-day work. But it's giving you water and you just pretend that it's the way things have always been. But it hasn't always been this way. Plumbers and engineers and people have come together and put these things together for you to be able to do that. And it's precisely because it is so fundamental and it has been put into place in such a fundamental foundational way that it's easy to ignore it and forget about what it's uh, what it's doing for you. I think that's part of the the dilemma or the irony behind how significant and yet ignored the constitution's values can be. Thank you, Lalit, for making it clear on how the constitution is continuously working in the background and affecting us on a daily basis. With that being said, this brings us to the end of our first episode of the Book of India podcast series. Thank you once again, Lalit and Zatuka, for being here. The Vidhi Center for Legal Policy will continue to hold a series of offline and online conversations with the aim to start a broader discussion on the Constitution of India. 
Watch our social media handles for more.